0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. Prayer for Spiritual Insight. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints— I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way.
1: Thank you, Tiff. You guys can have a seat. How beautiful it is to hear the scriptures being read out loud as we do things like call to worship and benedictions and even in the preaching of God's word. And um, we're going through, we just started, but going through the series through this one letter that this apostle leader Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. The book is called Ephesians. We started last week and we're looking at this kind of overarching theme of a glorious picture of the church as we... Looked at last week, a lot of the letters have a little bit more of a personal application. This one is really about the community of the people called the church. And particularly for us, it's a good reminder of the design of that church was meant to be multicultural. And just the beauty of how God is displayed in that. Um, But before I jump into it for this morning, you know, I love Baltimore. You know, I've been here since 06, even a couple years before this church was started. I just love the city. It's home to me. But I'm originally from Philly. Um, so as much as I love Baltimore, if the, the Ravens and the Eagles ever got in the Super Bowl together and, you know, just the way my life has gone, that's probably not going to happen. But if they ever did, you know, I'd have to be in the basement really quietly watching and not really tell anyone who I'm rooting for. I'm going to get people mad at me, whatever. But uh, I'm from Philly, and people from Philly can be a little strange in some ways. We got some peculiarities. One is about things like cheesesteaks, you know. And I didn't say cheese cake. Some of you got really excited. Not cheesecakes, cakes, cheese steaks. Um, uh, we love cheesesteaks, right? And, and here's something I've experienced where I love cheesesteaks so much, I get a little mad when I see people's response to them, but it's not properly based. Like, I'll be like at a convenience store somewhere, none named because we don't get royalties or anything, but <laughs> that'd be great if we did. Huh? Every time I mention a store, get a ding. But, you know, I'll see someone order a cheesesteak from like, say, uh, some one of your corner store, and they're eating it, and they're not from Philly, obviously. They're eating it, and like, ah, ah, it's okay. I don't know why people make such a big deal out of this. Cheese steaks, all these weird Philly people. It's not that great. I mean, it's a piece of bread and a piece of meat and cheese whiz. I mean, it's not even real cheese. Like, what, what's the big deal? And, you know, I, um, I try not to be too judgy, but I'm usually like, oh, you just don't know any better. You just don't. And, and and. and if if the opportunity arises, hey, let me take you for a real one. Yeah, you know, I try not to do that, as much of that anymore because got to watch my body. But you know, let me let's experience the joy of a real good cheesesteak. Let's let's drive two hours to Philly and maybe go to like DeLisandro's or John's Roast Pork and and just get uh, like a real one on Amoroso's. Um, I'm just not the sermon. I'm going, guy. Okay. Let's get a real one because you just don't know any better. You haven't experienced that. And in the same way, if I asked you, even you or maybe someone on the street, like. Who is God to you? Who is God? And you're like, nah. I'd probably say a similar thing. Oh, oh you just don't know. You, you just haven't experienced the reality of who this God is. And if that's you, even in here in this room today, I'm not saying that in a blaming way. This is not meant to be judgmental. But maybe it's a sign that you haven't really met God in the fullness of who he is as he's shown himself to be. And that's what Paul's writing about here. So let's dive in a moment. But can you join me in praying, asking for the Spirit's leading. God, thank you that you desire to be known. You're not cruel, telling people to obey and do certain things, but not telling us how to do that and how to walk that path. But you've given us the, the ways, even in mystery. So Holy Spirit, as we go into these scriptures written to an ancient people but relevant for us here today, illuminate those words within our mind's eye that we might be able to see and guide us to be able to experience your holiness, who you are, the way that you intended. So guide us in this time, Lord. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask you, keep your Bibles open if you've got your app or your uh, physical version. Keep it open to Ephesians 1 because we're just going to be chopping it up here and we're not going to have it up on the screen. I would love for you to be able to, to look through it. Let's start again in verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. So Paul is just continuing in his epic, long, run-on celebration that we looked at last week as he um, celebrated the tr- truth of who these Ephesians, Christ Christians were, that you are in him. You're in Christ. This is your identity. And likewise, I want to just just for a moment say it's something to be celebrated even for you here. Too many places when we think about Christians, it's all just like beating people up and saying, what's wrong with you? Work harder. And the truth of knowing who you are in Christ is something to be celebrated. Even in our brokenness. And may our church be a community where we're not just telling people how to do things better, but we're also honoring the things we see in one another. Say, I see it. Wow, you're displaying God's glory. Praise God. Keep going. So as he celebrates their faith, we see how Paul prays for them. Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So Paul is simply praying that they would know God. But it's helpful for us to realize here that knowledge here, when it says knowledge, it's not merely acquiring more information about God. And, and I'm not dismissing that. We should have classes, read, study. There's wonderful resources out to find out information about God. I would suggest actually that's really important. Maybe some of us need more of that. But the point is if it's just information, that that'd be like knowing every detail of your car manual. Like, you're weird. Like, you study that genre. Like, there's going to be a test on your car. You know everything about your car, but you ever, never actually drive it on the road. It's like kind of missing the point. Because knowing God, it, it's so much more than just acquiring facts, uh, uh, memorizing statements that describe who he is. Again, that's, that's important. But it's a relational union with God. Knowing God is about relationship it's like how we see knowledge used the scriptures in, in many different places. Um, and, you know, this is rated PG-13, so we won't go. But when you see things like Adam knew Eve, there's a sense of physical intimacy that's, that's connoted there. Like when you know someone, you know them. It's like deep relationship in every possible closeness. That's what it's talking about here when it's saying knowledge. It's a closeness of relationship. It's, it's, it, it betrays the sense of intimacy. And specifically in our context here, knowledge means a closeness that these people, they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of closeness of knowledge it's talking about. You already know Jesus. But here is, just it just blew my mind. Here's the amazing thing here. When Paul is praying for their knowledge of God in these, in these verses, He's talking actually about how they can even know him better. Again, these are people who know God, but he's saying by your knowledge, he's saying, here's how you can know him even more than the great things we've celebrated. Here's how you can even know know more. So the word, I try really not to do this often, but I think it's relevant here. In the Greek, the, the Greek here is really good, right? This word for knowing in the Greek is usually, depending on how you pronounce your Greek, gnosis or gnosis. You know, it's this idea of, of knowledge. But what we have here, in the, in the form we have here, it's intensified with this preposition epi. So rather than just gnosis, you have epignosis. And, and what this means, epignosis is a more thorough, more full. It's, it's like a, almost a deeper kind of knowledge of who God is. And what Paul is longing for these already faithful Ephesian Christians to grow in, yo, I want your relationship with God to be even deeper. I want it to be even more full. And I know you're doing great things now, but there's even more available. And maybe for some of us here who feel kind of stuck at times, maybe this is encouragement that there's always growth available. Because I think Paul, as he's writing this, he seems to recognize that if there's not this passionate relationship with God, all of these good beliefs that we can take in, all of the great classes we can uh, study and grow in, and they're all important, but if there's not like a root, deep, passionate, thorough, like intimate relationship with God, that can easily create kind of a coldness. It can create like a hard-heartedness where we don't even really enjoy God. And we know a lot about him. But it's like God is more like a begrudging obligation than pleasure and joy, which he was intended to be. Because I want to just put out there for all of us, this journey is meant to be so much more than maybe even some of us are experiencing. Maybe some of you are like, meh, it's meant to be so much more than that. And Paul, he then describes how this deep knowledge of God is available. How it's been made um, available for us. Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And when the scriptures say this word heart, it's more than just just physical organ that beats there and, and supplies blood. It's talking more about the center of our being. It's almost like if you think of yourself like your operating system. And some of you, if you don't understand that words, you're probably my age or old, right? But it's like your operating system, like the center of your intellect, your will. And Paul is asking that the eyes of their OS, the eyes of their operating system might see clearly that their spiritual vision would come into focus. For some of you who need corrective lenses like I did, it's like that first day, if you can remember, for me, it was seventh grade. I used to borrow my neighbor in class his glasses because I couldn't see fully. And I was like, what are those things? Can I try and put them on? Whoa, is this how you see the world? Seriously? Like that sense of things come into focus. It's, it's clear for the first time. That's what Paul is desiring for their eyes of their heart to be able to see the world, and God. Paul's desires that they would see so clearly that they would recognize the full scope of what it means to know God. Verse 18 again, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Here's why. So that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty work of his strength. So we see some things laid out here of how they might deepen their knowledge of God, their relational union with him, this epignosis, how it can grow further. One, it's to know purpose. How do we know God? It's to know our purpose. And verse 18 describes it here, this purpose as the hope of their calling. And imagine if you had some aliens who were just doing some recon mission on earth, right? And they each have their own different um, tasks before them. Their general tells them, okay, you got different responsibilities. Okay, you, you guys are going to go and you're going to attract these people called Christians. Your job is to find out what is a Christian because, man, they get into a lot of trouble on this earth, so we should know who they are. So you're going to observe them. You're just going to set a recon and you're just going to stake out and watch these Christians in action. And man, I think for too many of those, they'd be, their notes after will be like, oh yeah, a Christian is someone who wakes up on Sunday morning way later than they thought they would and they're just bitter because this is their only day to sleep in, but they got to get their kids together and their kids all particularly stinking in union this day and like breakfast stinks and everyone's mad but they got to get them in a car because they don't want to be known as a bad Christian and they drive to church, they're late, there's no more seats so they got to sit like wherever and they're just grumpy and they're bitter and they're just trying to get through it and they just think it stinks. They don't want to be known as bad people, but they got to do this, and they sing, but they're so thankful for masks because they don't have to sing anymore, right? They pretend like they're singing because they hate it. It's just useless, and they listen to this talk, and they're like, man, how long can this guy go on? on like, just a few verses. Crazy, because I got lunch reservations, and they just wait to do that, and here's the thing. General, they do this over and over again every week. That's what being a Christian is, And obviously our hope at the village is that would not be what a Christian is because part of what drives me is, man, when I encounter people, especially that don't know Jesus, some of them think that God is so boring. And they're going off like some of his followers who when they talk about God, they're not like, God, they're like, oh, yeah, God. Because like we saw last week, guys, we were created for glory. And what some people think of Christianity, I mean, to me, that sure doesn't feel glorious. It feels kind of like, meh, 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 whatever sounds come out of your mouth. Definitely not something compelling, especially to the world observing us. What is glorious, though, is when you see, or maybe even in your own life, experience people being sold out for something bigger than themselves. When regular people like you and me, we've experienced something life-changing. I mean, like so tangible and close, but yet so divine and otherworldly that it can't help but alter the trajectory of our life's course. Like you are ruined in the best way possible. Like you just don't see life the same anymore. That there is a God who is so committed to his fame and to his glory that he goes on a mission to rescue rebellious and wayward children to bring us back home to live life as intended. To be reunited with our family. And here's the thing, this rescue mission is not centered on some project some plans, but the rescue mission is a person, and his name is Jesus. And this Jesus, he gave his own life to be able to give us the best escort home. And on your way to that family reunion, you do whatever is in your power to invite others to join you on this epic ride. Because there's always room for more at this party. That's glory. That's a purpose worth getting hype over. That's a purpose why people would sacrifice their life for, because it transcends what we've always been told gives us meaning in this world. And here's the thing. Here's where it stands out above, because there's a lot of other good worthwhile missions in our world that we can devote ourselves to, but the one unique to the gospel is it's a purpose that deserves your full allegiance Even when your commitment doesn't seem to be producing what you thought it would. Even when your faithful commitment doesn't seem to be leading to a life that that evangelist promised you would happen. Follow Jesus and everything will be perfect in your life. Turn that frown upside down. And you're like, oh, oh, I follow Jesus. I I genuinely believe, but I'm like, life is hard. If anything, my eyes have been opened to things that I never even cared about. And now I feel like I have more burdens. Because that's part of God's work. This calling. Because when we stand steadfast in the face of some of the hardest circumstances we face on this earth, when we honestly sometimes don't have satisfactory answers, and sometimes as Christians, we feel like we've got all this good doctrine, all this... Sometimes it's just mysterious. Sometimes stuff happens. No matter how much you've been in church, you're like, I just don't know how to explain this. I don't know why this is happening in the way that it is. I don't have good answers. I, don't, I have so many books, but they're not giving me the why. It just feels so hard. When amid this mystery of life that can sometimes feel so jagged, Sometimes all we can de- declare is like that song, that old song based on Job. For I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. Even though my flesh it be destroyed, yet I will see God. Because our posture, our calling amid suffering is a prophetic picture of what is to come. When we stand, even if we're trembling like a leaf, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of everything crumbling around us, we are giving people a glimpse of the future to come because Jesus wins. Amen? Jesus wins, and the end clarifies the journey as hard as it might be. The end, knowing where it gets to, it makes sense of things that don't feel like they make much sense in the moment. That's the nature of hope. That's what it means to have hope. And that is the hope of our calling as described here. It's continually reminding hurting people, including ourselves, because you can be in church and really be hurting, right? It means reminding hurting people the reason why we can be hopeful even in the greatest sorrow. It's not because everything is making you feel good. It's not because you wake up and you're so excited to hit the day. It's in spite of those things, but knowing where God is taking us one day. And in the meantime, it might be hard, but the end clarifies the journey. And part of our call of hope then is to stand with him in hope as we grow to know God deeper in these ways. That's one way we know God in this epignosis way. Know our calling, know our hope, even when it's hard. We see here another way that we know God. Verse 19 says, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So we know God more by knowing his riches. We know riches. And there are actually a couple different interpretations of what Paul meant here by inheritance. Uh, one view is that he's talking about our riches. And I think that's fully valid, right? It's our riches, our inheritance that we have from knowing God. That to have a deeper knowledge of God, it means knowing how wealthy you really are if you're in the family. And some Christians get really heebie-jeebie when it comes to talking about wealth and riches because you're like, oh, good Christians shouldn't talk about that. Um, I want to be really clear. What God means by rich it might actually diverge greatly from what our world says is rich. So that, that, that does make sense. Um, the world might think of richness as material wealth, but God primarily means spiritual riches. It doesn't mean material wealth can't be a sign of God's blessing, but ultimately it's talking about spiritual riches. And let's be really clear here, there are no spiritually poor people in God's household. Everyone, if you are in Christ, you are wealthy beyond what you know. Because this is important because too many of us, we live like we are spiritually poor. You're like me when I used to go rent a car for work. And, and I would like be asked, do you want the insurance? I'd be like all nervous and stuff I'd be like, oh man, I don't know if I want the insurance because I don't want to pay that. But what if I don't pay it and something happens, I get in an accident and oh man, but I don't want... And I was acting like I was really like skimpy on my pocketbook and like really like poor until I realized one day my boss had to tell me, yo, you know when you use your credit card, you already got the insurance. I'm like, seriously? He's like, Yeah, you got that, and you got di- 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 all these benefits. I'm like, seriously. You mean like I could break down and someone's gonna come get me? They're like, Yeah, that's part of the benefits of being in this company, in this family, of having this card. And it's freeing to know how rich you really are, how much you have available to you, not to have to live out of a scarcity mindset because we don't recognize we have. And I think we can acknowledge that some aspects of our inheritance, they're not going to be known until the full eternal age to come. So you don't have it all now, but God will also give you today what you need to live for him you are far more rich in Christ than you realize. And it's a richness that Wall Street, they might not understand, but God knows you are wealthy. So I absolutely believe that's a really valid interpretation, understanding of what inheritance here means. But I also love another interpretation that says, Paul means that we are his inheritance. That we are. The saints of God are God's very riches. I love that interpretation because it's different than maybe how I used to always view God because I got to be honest, when I was younger, I used to picture God kind of shaking his head, looking at me, man, this kid's never going to get it, is he? How many retreats does he have to go to before he just settles into his head? He just keeps falling into the same sin over and over again. He keeps telling people how hard it is. I've given you everything. That's how I used to view God. But more and more, I think it's been an invitation to know how God really views. And I almost picture him, you know, hanging out with one of his angel homies. You know, just talking. say, Yeah, how's things going? Oh, you know, fluttering. That's cool. It's cool. And the angel's like looking out over creations. Man, God, I, I got to be honest. I hope it doesn't feel like I'm kissing you or whatever. But, yo, that Grand Canyon epic lord man the ocean the way the waves keep going and you don't need a wave machine it just keep going look at those kids having so much fun that's that's amazing lord lobster wow look at how much joy you have given to these people how did you make stuff like how did you even give them the intellect to figure out that you pull apart that crazy looking red thing and there's like good food in there god you are unbelievable your creative works are are and God said yeah that's all good but man look at her look at her look at my daughter do you see the way her she, she continues to be faithful even though life is falling apart around her do you see the way she's not giving up I mean our enemy thought that you can just crush people like Job but These people, they just keep doing it over and over, trusting in us, trusting in me. And look at her. Isn't she beautiful? Out of the majesty of all creation, God says, look at him. Look at her. She's mine. He belongs to me. That the redeemed children of God are worth more to him than anything else he has ever created, as majestic as it might be. You, 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 all of you, if you're in Christ, God looks at you with such deep pleasure. I love seeing some of these new moms and dads who look at the new baby born and like, it's like they've never seen a baby before. Something happens. They're like, ah! it's The most hardened person. Their heart It pales compared to how God looks at his beloved children. Have you ever considered that is how God sees you? Because of Jesus, that is how God sees you, his beloved boy, his wonderful, sweet girl. Because too many of us, we talk about being pagan, and we think about like weird stuff. I think one of the most pagan things we do is we gauge our worth Based on measures that the world determines is important. What does your body look like? How many degrees do you have behind your name? How many people like you? How many people press that button on your social media to say that they've seen what you do? Like, not bad stuff, but like we have so many weird ways that we gauge whether we're important or not. But see the truth of how God sees his beloved a priceless treasure of great worth, that's how God sees you. And that's part of knowing God in these different ways because some of you just don't believe it because you hear different voices. Part of growth in Christ is to know that's how God sees you. So we know God more fully through our purpose, through our riches, and we also know God in power. Look at verse 19 again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? To know God is to know power. And and we live in, um, just in my estimation, we live in a pretty remarkable time. Um, The scope of human advancement seems unlimited. I mean, I'm not good at STEM myself, but I'm like, yo, you STEM people, keep going, because you're creating amazing stuff, making my life easier. I love it. It's unbelievable. There seems to be nothing beyond the accomplishment of human brilliance and fortitude. That if you just give us enough resources, enough time, give us a good lab, we will figure out this whole thing called life. And it feels like we have the ability to overcome any obstacle standing in our way. But there's one thing human beings will never defeat. Death. Death. Out of all the am- amazing, wonderful things we have accomplished, one thing that we can never defeat is death. I mean, we'll try and hold it off. We'll have technology and advancements and good ones, but it is inevitable as not much else in our world is. And I know, I know Thanos said he's inevitable. <laughs> but spoiler alert, if you haven't watched by now, you're not watching, right? <laughs> Even he could eventually be stopped. But death is truly inevitable. And this scourge called death has been just like dancing in the boxing ring of life for all history, right? Mocking, trash talking, those who would stand against him, but always standing in the end, right? Always giving the winner's interview. Arms raised in victory, Because no one throwing hands at death and coming out victorious. No one. Many have tried. You know, the strongest, the brightest, the richest. They've all said, yeah, we can hold death back. We can conquer death. But in the end, they all fall to this gladiator called death. Undefeated. Leaving a broken trail of tears and sorrow and grief. That is, until death met the warrior God, full of power. Look at verse 20. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. The one inevitable, the one never conquered, undefeated, fact of life was conquered by the risen Christ. Amen? Amen? In the resurrection of Jesus, death met its match. And yo, it wasn't even a contest. I mean, God let it look like death had won for a little bit with that whole like three days thing. and um, But yo, even that was foretold as part of the master plan. You know, hashtag Jonah. We just studied that, right? God had it all in plan. He knew it was gonna happen. This was a knockout of the greatest order. And here's the thing. You know you've been in church long enough if you can hear that Jesus was raised from the grave and you're like, cool, Easter coming soon? Man, it has become way too normal when this message was intended to be the most soul-stirring exclamation of the power of God. It's like someone said, for where the cross was the highest measure of God's love, the resurrection was the ultimate expression of his power. To know God fully is to know his power even over death. And I'm hoping for some of you, that's a very personal message because you're right in the middle of that, right? But here's the thing. God's power is not something removed from us, like kind of that we go, ooh, and ah, look how powerful God is. Like we're watching an Avenger do his thing, and we're just, oh, Earth's greatest hero is so powerful. I mean... This is not that kind of power. This same power amazingly lives inside of all of us. As it says in verse 19, this power is also for us who believe. This is not meant to be ethereal and removed from you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is directly relevant to your life today as well. In the muck and mire of the reality of life, you have the power of God in you. So practically, here's what it means. Picture in your mind's eye, what is the greatest challenge to your faith right now? Picture the most daunting circumstance you have going on in your journey today, lately. Maybe for some of us, it's a battle with the demons of lust that you have been fighting what seems like a losing battle your whole life in hidden shame? You've kind of just given up at this point. Perhaps for some of us, it's the seeming impossibility of ever forgiving that person who perpetrated the most vile, heinous atrocity against you. You're like, yeah, I know, I know the miracles of God, but that, that would never happen. I could never forgive that person. Maybe it's the soul-crushing battle of walking through illness for you or for a loved one. And every question of why just surfaces. For some of us, maybe it's, it's the people we love so much who want nothing to have to do with God. And you can't imagine them ever changing. It breaks your heart. Here's the thing. As bad as our circumstances may be, whatever you are struggling with, and this is not to minimize it, it's probably not worse than the brutal murder of the Son of God. As big and bad as your hardship may look to your eyes, may your enlightened eyes also see through the lens of resurrection power that there is no aspect of our lives, even as private and as hopeless as it might feel to us, that is beyond the reach of God's power. Keep fighting as you trust that God is enough. And tell someone else, say, hey, can you pray with me? Can you fight with me? So there's a very personal application of God's power at work, and we don't want to diminish that. That's real. But I also don't want us to miss that God's power is never just contained to an individual. It's never just meant for one person. We live in a whole individualistic, personal relation with Jesus kind of society. But we've got to see throughout this whole book that the theme is the community, the people. And as I was thinking about people, I couldn't help but just think with current events. Yesterday was the 20th memorial remembrance of the tragedy of 9-11. And for me, uh, I mean... I, just living on the East Coast, I think the closer you were, you just know people. I, knew, I know a couple of people who went through the real tragedy of losing dearly loved ones. Here's one thing I remember about that time, and some of you, that's history book stuff. Right? I, I actually lived through it. I can remember when it happened. I remember afterwards just like movement in the nation. It was, kind of, it was like powerful. Where like everyone was saying, things are going to be different now. People are hugging each other on the street. Sports, they took on a whole different meaning. People are weeping together, saying how much we are one. We're America. We will conquer evil if we do it together. I I used to hate you, but we're, man, all the things that used to divide us, our family squabbles at Thanksgiving. Isn't that so stupid in the light of these greater things? We've got to wake up. And it actually looked like it was happening. It It was kind of crazy at the time. but look where we are 20 years later. It it doesn't seem much better. If anything, sometimes it feels even worse, even amplified, because that's the story of our world. We have continual promises of what will truly make us one united global people. Education, cultural awareness, Inclusion, enlightenment, and all and, oh, those are not necessarily bad things. I, I think there's some common good that can result from those things, but we also need to recognize that the fruit of what human effort has produced to unite us often has divided, maybe even more. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't want to look at the news because our world can seem bleak. It almost seems futile to try to make a difference, to be better, But if you share that with me, if you look at a world where like, seriously, we got like KKK in 2021? We got like white supremacists who are not even hiding behind a mask, seriously? We got people who are targeting people with like different clothing items, seriously? That's the world we live in? If you ever get disheartened by how broken things feel, look at verse 21. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus rose from the grave, and now he rules above it all. Over every person and authority, over every ideology, every worldview, everything and everyone bows at the feet of the resurrected King Jesus. Even a world that seems hopelessly fractured. God's power is even being known in a world that can be seen broken beyond repair. And verse 22 tells us the amazing way how. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. I don't know if you guys caught it when Tiffany was reading earlier, but this should have made you stop in your tracks as you heard this. Because this language is astounding. Because verse 23 almost seems paradoxical. If someone was just telling you this and not saying they were reading the Bible and talking about Jesus needing to be filled up, you'd be like, yo, heretic! Yo, we need to excommunicate, you homes. My Jesus don't need to be filled up. He is perfect in completion. It almost seems heretical, paradoxical. That Jesus, the one who fills all things in every way, sees his fullness through the church. It's like a head without a body, a bridegroom without his bride. There's something that's missing, and Jesus sees himself as incomplete without his body, his beloved church, where he's the head. Simply, how was the power of God designed to be fully known through his church. And I can't help but think about the reminders for our anniversary, you know, as we started this thing over 13 years ago. And a lot has changed. But the one common thing that's been there from the very beginning is we wanted a church that lifted and made much of God, but the way that it would look was people who would look like they would have nothing else to do in common with one another would actually start to become family. Crossing lines of ethnicity and class and and where you were born and how much money you have. Like there would be this radical understanding of people who, like I love this vision of what our church would be after, a beautiful day like this when people are all over this neighborhood and y'all walking out afterwards words and people like just are driving by or to walk by and they're just confused because like people are coming out of this building and they're like what's going on in there they don't look like they'd be doing anything with each other what do they have in common with each other that's weird like people be questioning what is going on here to make you united like that and all we can say is look at what Jesus does look at his power Look at his power in a world that's so divided, so fractured, so broken. As much as we want to give our uh, education and efforts to it, we just growing more. But look at what Jesus does through his body called the church. Amazing. One pastor friend of mine said, the only time when you see radically communities of people made up so many different folks is either drugs or Jesus. And hopefully it's not too much the first one for us, but mainly Jesus We celebrate Jesus, his power known. He has all power. Everything stands below his feet. He reigns over all. But how does he choose his power to be fully known? Through his bride, through his body, through his people, redeemed out of sin called the church. And in a world like ours, I think this is relevant at any time in history, but particularly in the world we live in right now. I thought this was relevant in 2008. I think it's even more now in a world that is at each other's throats. You can't even have Thanksgiving dinner together with some people without getting into a brawl. In a world like that, I think one of the greatest evidences we're going to have for the power and reality of God is the community coming together, even with differences, to say, look who we are, one. It doesn't negate who we are individually, but we're also one together. We're going to unpack this through the rest of the book, But simply, guys, the multicultural, multi-ethnic people of God called the church is the expression of the fullness of God's reconciling power in our world. The power of God that can make a new reconciled family of people who used to be enemies. And that family is also meant to include you. If you're here and maybe you haven't ever been in church before, or you're coming back after a while and you thought of church as just a place to be more moral, learn more rules, maybe even get some thoughts to tickle your brain a little bit. Hopefully you'll get some of that, but more than that, could it be an invitation for you to be part of something that is full of glory, that will change your life, that will transform you as a person, but also involves you in this larger family called the church through which the power of God will be known, including through the transformation of your own life as you commit to be part of it. So stand with me as we respond right now. As our music team comes up, they're going to lead us in some music. And during that time, I want to invite you to come up to the table, take one of these elements. And, and usually, in our, especially our Western world, we think of it as a very individual thing. And that's part of it. But what I want to invite you today, especially as you come up, as you grab one of these and wait for all of us to take it together at the end, but think about what does this mean for you as part of a larger thing than yourself? That what we're symbolizing here, the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood that he shared with his first followers, it's also deeply symbolic for who we are now part of as the family of God and you're committing to that. And if you are not a member of this church, maybe this is a step for you to say, "Okay, I need to be part of this community because we've got a greater mission in front of us than I realized. Or maybe you've never even been a Christian. And for you, you can come and receive communion for the first time saying, I want to be part of that family. I also want to confess that Jesus died for me so that I could be part of this powerful, reconciling, purposeful, rich community called the church. If that's you, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to tell you how you can join us for that family reunion. Lord, help us. We are in continual need of your grace. Thank you for the words of your scriptures that remind us of who we are. Remind us of what it means to know you. And some of us, Lord, we have just been on cruise control. But Lord, maybe you're even prompting us to a greater knowledge of you. It's not that we're more beloved. We're already beloved. But Lord, that we might know you even more, deeper, thorough, fully, intimate. And for some of us, Lord, it would be the first step into that kind of relationship. Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like for us, invite us into your presence right now in deep worship through these music, through these songs, through this table, through these prayer, through this community that you would be known through your Multicultural Reconciling Church. So continue to pray, and whenever you feel led, Join others and receive one of these elements and bring it back to your seat.